welcome everybody to a very special interview episode of Work Stoppage. We are an entirely listener-supported uh, labor podcast, so thank you so much for all of the support you give us on Patreon. It really does go a long way towards keeping the show going. If you're not in the Discord already, please go ahead and get in there. It's a great place to hang out and talk about the show. But without too much fanfare, we want to intro our guest, uh, Lance, who has come to us from the Carolina Amazonians United for Solidarity and Empowerment, otherwise known as CAUSE, all capital letters, uh, from RDU1 Warehouse in Garner, North Carolina, just outside of Raleigh. Welcome, Lance. Hey, man. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Lance. We really appreciate it. Uh, this is, I guess, sort of turning into our our organizing summer as far as getting interviews out there. We had our interview with the folks organizing in Kentucky a couple of weeks ago, and and now we're we're honored to have an opportunity to talk to you and 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 learn about the drive that's going on in North Carolina. And so, I guess, just to get started and you know get right into this, can you tell us a little bit about both? from an organizational perspective, but also a personal one, like how you you and your, your comrades that are organizing there at RDU1, how this drive got started, and then also for you specifically, how you got interested in, in, and how you got involved with the organizing project. Mm, okay. Um, well, I actually came into it a little bit later. The cause in general started, if I'm correct, uh, in January of this past year of the 2020, 2022, sorry, um, uh, there had been a lot of situations that had come up in the workplace, and several of our founding members um, kind of said enough's enough, and then uh, things such as the Staten Island vote came out, and it kind of like helped really push things forward, um, and so uh, they actually started doing like flyering and reaching out to other uh, groups for like financial help and stuff along those lines uh, earlier. And so I came to uh, Amazon in February with like, I mean, obviously I needed a little bit of money, um, but I, I wanted to try to organize, right? I was just like, okay, there's like either, you know, like maybe something can happen here. And then I found out through another avenue that someone's already done a huge chunk of the groundwork and they're like, they're doing it. I was like, Oh yes. I got linked up with the boys at cause boys and girls, uh, and NIMBYs. Um, and, uh, they, um, yeah, they're, they're awesome. It's like super democratic. Like they really have a really good rank and file. The way that they're setting everything up is, uh, uh, wonderful. Like I'm very happy and pleased to be a part of these people. Um, yeah, it's, oh, yeah that rocks. It's, it's great. Yeah, they're addressing some really, really major issues right out of the gate. If I'm not mistaken, one of the first things that they organized around was access to water because there wasn't any drinking water on site. It's possible. Um, I'm not familiar with the like original uh, list because they've they kind of have like a running list of things that they are constantly like pushing for, and mm-hmm. things will kind of casually get brought into the workplace with no mention of cause at all by Amazon. I guess in way of trying to like like stamp off any kind of organization efforts. Um, and so we just kind of slowly keep track of things that are successes. Uh, like for instance, there's, um, uh, like the, the phone cell phones, they were like very adamant about not having your cell phone on the floor. Like, you know, you're a bunch of high schoolers that can't be trusted (laughs) with such technologies. Um, and so they eventually, I guess uh, shortly after the pandemic kind of started falling off, 
uh, went back on that after uh, cause was pushing against it so heavily. And that makes sense. I mean, like companies always try to take credit for what the, you know, the workers have fought for. I mean, what we just saw that the uh, was it REI or, or one of the other like what recent places that saw a union effort basically came out and raised wages for people and yeah, was and REI like tried to. Yeah. Tried to take up and take all the credit. They're like, oh, look how great we are. And it's like, huh, it's really strange that you uh, met this demand uh, when after the union has uh, seen some success. Yeah, it's a uh, pretty coincidental, right? Uh, there's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I guess sort of on on that that end, like like in the same vein of what like John was asking about, what would you say are some of like the bigger issues specifically that you hear like both that, you know, you were specifically looking to organize around, but also like what are the most common complaints, you know, that you hear from workers who you're organizing that have really helped drive and build the, the organizing movement there with cause? Um, I mean, obviously the main one is just the incredible wealth disparity like in the country there and specifically the Garner region, but people will commute an hour and a half to come to work at this job. Um, uh, because that's like how, how poor wages are in North Carolina. So like you can draw like an hour and a half radius around, um, like the, the location of that warehouse and people are commuting that distance because they don't have better alternatives, um, in between their house in this warehouse. Um, right. Well, and these, this is at a facility where you work 10 and 11 hour shifts, right? So that's 12 and a half hours out of their day. Mm-hmm. Or my shift is, um, they call it RT or reduced time. Uh, so I work three 12 hour shifts. Um, and I get paid a like tiny percentage higher so that I make the same amount as someone who works four days a week at 10 hours. Um, but, but yeah, a lot of people that work with, uh, on that shift, they, they also are driving an hour and a half. And so they're working 12 hours, driving three hours. And so that's 15 hours out of their day just gone. And then they're getting home and trying to get to sleep. I'm like, dude, so you're getting like four, three to four hours of sleep. And like one lady that I work with, um, she's a single mother. And um, so she's working and like watching her kid when she's not working. And I'm just like, wait, so when oh, do you sleep? Wow. And she goes, well, I just kind of like... Like I'm on the couch and I'm just in and out. And so I'll get somewhere between 30 minutes and two to three hours of sleep. I'm like, how do you function? Like, I genuinely don't understand how these human beings are carrying on. Like it's, uh, so yeah, finances, uh, and like higher pay is like always the number one on that list because I mean, people are struggling just day to day. Um, after that, it's, Generally, the number one complaint that I hear from people talking to in the workplace is HR, uh, either accommodations for physical disabilities, mental situations, health situations, um, and HR is beyond complacent. Like it, It's almost like they maliciously don't comply or help you in an effort to just get you out of the system. Like They, they will mass hire anybody under the guise that, like, oh, it's a welcoming all-inclusive accommodating workplace and then it's like oh well if you can't make your your rate hourly or if you can't you know get here at a certain time or you know heaven forbid your kids get sick and you know you don't have like uh, accumulation of time off then it's like well you're fired congratulations um like i was just talking with uh, our organizing president um yesterday during one of our meetings and he was telling me that a young lady was talking to him about 
um, she was with child, um, pregnant and she was having like abdominal pains at work and was talking to management saying like, I need to go. Um, and they were like, well, do you have, you know, unpaid time off accumulated that you can use or paid time off accumulated that you can use because otherwise, you know, it's, it's your job. If you leave and you don't have (laughs) that time available, then, you know, that's up to you. You know, you can risk your job if you want to. And she ended up losing her job, losing her, losing her child at work and losing her job after the fact, trying to go to the hospital, go to the doctor, get everything followed up with that. And so, I mean, it's just frustrating. We live in a country where like we just had Roe v. Wade and that whole situation. And we've got, you know, a huge bunch of people that are like, rah, rah, you know, a child's born or a child is, uh, you know, life is conceived at, at conception and stuff or fertilization. But like they will turn a blind eye to companies literally murdering unborn children inside their mothers uh, for the sake of profit. Um, you know, it's just like like that to me is like blood curdling. Like I am. I, I, I'm a father. I have two kids. Um, one of them is nine months and the other one's three years. And, uh, my, my personal issue with the job is that I am like hoarding time off like a madman. Like I, I'm like a doomsday prepper with my time off because I never know when my toddler who is a magnet for disease <laughs> is going right, to come home and be sick with something. And I, I'm going to have to emergency take time off. Like I can't comfortably take a vacation or, like use my time for anything other than just waiting for my kids to get sick or my wife to need me to watch the kids for some emergency that comes up. Um, so there there needs to be more accommodations for, for parents just in general. I mean, within, within the country, there needs to be more accommodations for parents, but within Amazon as a workplace, we need, we need more. Um, yeah. I mean, those are just like really truly jaw droppingly bad conditions. And, uh, it sounds like from what you mentioned earlier that when you came to this facility, you were pretty much like rearing to go organizing wise, uh, yeah. considering how, how bad things have been for so many of your coworkers. Uh, what has the reception been like from the, the wider pool of employees, uh, with regards to the organizing effort? Um, it's kind of a spectrum, uh, like a rainbow spectrum. I've yet to come across anyone that openly is against the idea of a union, which I think is good. Uh, like it, it's mm-hmm. a good sign. Um, cause there's always going to be someone out there that's like against the union, but they, the fact that they're not like confident enough to like blatantly say that to me is, um, I think that's a good sign. Uh, but most people are on the fence. I would say they like the idea of it. They, support it in some way or another, but they want to see it move along and become a little stronger and develop more as a, as an organization or as a group or to see like larger numbers before they feel comfortable stepping out and and joining it. Um, And then there's a, there's a smaller subset of people that are like, yes, it is about time. (laughs) Thank you. Where can I sign up? Let's go. Um, and there's a few people that are just kind of shaking their head like, no, no, I, I appreciate it, but that's just not for me. Uh, but no one's been all like, that's horrible. I can't believe y'all are trying to do this. You're going to cost us this job. Blah, blah, blah. They're going to shut the place down. Right. A lot of people, especially in the, in the South, have like, uh, like misconceptions about what a union even is. And I mean, we have a lot of like Red Scare propaganda to think for that. Uh, but I, so I'd say the majority of our job within the workplace is just spreading the word about like what a union actually is and what their legal like uh, protections are and like 
a lot of people think unions are illegal in the first place in North Carolina. Right. I mean, it's, it's the second worst state in the union for unions. Uh, but so I kind of can understand where they're coming from with that thought mm-hmm. process. But it's just, no, no, you totally can have a union. Uh, we just can't force you to pay dues, which um, actually helps sway a lot of people in. Like, I have one gentleman that I'm talking with. He uh, moved from some other states that have more, like, businessy unions where they just want to collect your dues and they don't want to actually represent you. Like, they're there to make money. Um and I mean, that's a sad truth of the liberal world that we live in. Um, and so being able to easily say, hey, actually, we can't take your money. You know, you can give us some if you want to. But like at the end of the day, you know, we'd rather you and your body be here. Like we're not, we don't care about money uh, in that regard. Um, and so, I mean, finances are very helpful being able to uh, produce flyerage and signage and, you know, fuel for for the machine of of everything is is nice but ultimately we're here to make better work conditions for our workers and ourselves because we are the workers it's all worker-led so yeah yeah uh, i mean you're definitely getting into to like what I, we wanted to ask next because i mean clearly these are some effective strategies even in the face of what i mean most unions would say is one of the biggest anti-union tactics around the nation which is the right to work legislation i personally think it's more of the uh, pro act stuff that is a little bit more important but but you know I'm, I'm glad that you're able to turn that around but when it comes to tactics and strategies like what things have you found helpful um maybe what's worked and maybe even what hasn't worked so well and uh and maybe some of the unique challenges that you don't always hear about when you're you know being told about unions from people who do know about unions what sort of uh struggles might be unique to your workplace honestly i think the largest struggle is just overcoming that that red scare aspect of things we have a lot of people that are interested that are maybe more right leaning in their political beliefs and like they will come to a couple of meetings, they're like kind of on fire and then they'll see some iconography of like a fist or, you know, they'll, <laughs> right. they'll, they'll be like, Oh, that's, that's a BLM sign. Or, you know, they started like, Oh, is this a socialist organization? I just, I don't know about this. And then you're like, what do you what do you think socialism is like if you know if you could just give me a definition it's like oh wow you know people don't have any property it's like oh my okay all right yeah (laughs) oh man we need a lot of work how much time do you have (laughs) (laughs) right um uh, that's probably our biggest obstacle is just overcoming the fear of like the boogeyman on the left um people that actually think democrats are left right you know like these are the the general stigmas that we're having to combat on a day-to-day basis. Um, and so we approach it from more of a perspective of obviously being like worker oriented and focused, um, but also just appealing to like their interests, right? Like if you take left talking points and you just remove the word left or socialist or communist or any of those main trigger words, you know, it's like democratic workplace, you know, better work conditions, actual representation. Like, you know, they, you know, people are on fire about that. They're like, yes, yes. But, you know, as soon as you sprinkle in any of those scary words, they're out. <laughs> um, and so that, that's one obstacle uh, outside of that though. Um, things that have been very successful are, um, uh, our flyering campaigns outside of the building, our pamphleting and stuff, um, gets a lot of people aware of us. Um, and so then they will go to our website 
and they will fill out like a form of some sort and that will put us put them into our like our catalog system that we're able to like go through and systematically contact um and then from there we try to build on one-on-ones and stuff to actually um be able to get more engagement from them uh but also just in the course of a work day uh before work after work we'll try to like go about having nice little contacts with people. So people will come up and everyone's complaining. Like nobody's happy with this job, except for like maybe a very small minutia of workers. Um, everyone has something that they want that's, you know, more than what they're getting. Uh, and all of those are opportunities to bring up cause and to bring up why it is that we're doing this and what the benefits of unions are. Everything is a, an opportunity. Um, and so it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And I guess uh, one thing that we didn't quite go over that, you know, I think we talked about a little bit on when, when we originally talked about this on some of our main episodes, but uh, Cause is an independent union. That's correct. That's correct. We've actually, we've talked with every major Amazon organizing group. Like we've talked with the people down at Bessemer, like we've had meetings with them. We've talked with ALU and they're, group of people um uh we've talked on individual basis with a lot of the people from amazonians united um and we've gleaned nuggets of wisdom and information from all of them um and i mean we're still keeping options on the table in terms of like affiliation uh things along those lines but at the end of the day our number one priority is autonomy we like want to be able to keep the power and the organization inside the building. Um, and so, you know, if someone comes along and they want to offer us financial backing, great, totally take it. If someone wants to come along and offer us, uh, you know, uh, litigative protections or, you know, resources, one wonderful. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Um, or like strategic, uh, we have tons and tons of people that have like given us uh, trainings and like strategizing uh, work play, uh, workshops and tools and resources and programs to uh, to to do various things. Um, we actually had one individual who probably wants to remain nameless that he um, uh, works with uh, a university somewhere in the country and designs their website. And he's like, yo, you know, power of the people, I'm doing this for you guys. And he like set up our whole website and made it for us just out of solidarity. I'm just like, man, like it, it's That's like, awesome. it is truly awesome. It's humbling, honestly. Like it, it's like when you just open yourself to the possibility and you set your mind on what you want, like those opportunities kind of will present themselves to you if you keep your eyes open and are able to navigate life in that manner. So it's, it's. I'm grateful on such a large degree for all of the help that we've gotten from all of the groups and organizations and individuals that have helped us so far. Um, we wouldn't be where we are today without them. Um, and it's, uh, it's just amazing. People that come out of the woodwork to try to help. Um, and then of course, as we've gained more notoriety, um, I think labor notes really launched, launched us off the map and like to like an international scale. And then we had to really, galvanize ourselves for more predatory people that are coming just wanting to tack themselves on and try to like get clout from it and so we're having to like navigate that whole realm of like are they actually here to offer us something or do they just are they trying to just be a part of this just to like tack it onto their belt yeah i mean i i mean i will say that like watching 
uh, Reverend Ryan's, uh, you know, uh, participation in that panel at labor notes, like with all the other, like with the representative from Amazonians United with folks from the ALU with, I think there was an RWDSU rep on the panel. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but that was like, that was a really fascinating and great discussion. I'm really glad that like folks organized that and y'all were able to participate it. Cause like just, I mean, like we talk about labor all the time on the show, but you guys are the ones out there actually, you know, in the middle of it doing the work. And so just to be able to learn from all those different experiences and all that hard work and all the challenges that y'all are trying to overcome was incredibly, um, informative and, and, and was really interesting. And I guess one of the things that I would want to know, like about, because obviously, you know, you're organizing as a independent group. Um, but and most of what we've seen as far as like specific targeted attacks on unionizing groups from Amazon has largely been stuff that's aimed specifically at the ALU. Like I know we saw like as soon as like the, the there was folks up in Albany that just uh, like uh, announced they were affiliating with the ALU and immediately Amazon starts putting on all the screens like don't sign a union card. The ALU is untested, da 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 da, da. their standard n- nonsense. Um, I'm sure that you you all have not, you know, been spared the the company's wrath. So what ways has has Amazon, you know, tried to combat your organizing drive? Like what sort of tactics have they rolled out to try and, and push back? Um, I'm not sure if it's directly in response to ALU's tactics or if it was in response to uh, one of our more recent flyering campaigns, but they have actually changed their national policy on being able to come into the workplace when you're not scheduled. Uh, I think it's like 15 minutes beforehand, they're putting like a very strict limit on when you're able to step into the building um, if you're not like scheduled in shortly. And so it's kind of mind boggling to me that they're like that scared. It's kind of like they're showing their hand a little bit, right? Because it's like, we got them on the back foot. Like, they can paint some kind of a magical picture, like, oh, we're just a bunch of unorganized, you know, heathens out there in the workplace. But, like, (laughs) they're sweating. They're clearly sweating if they're passing this kind of uh, um, uh, policy. uh, Policy. Thank you. Yes. And so it's, it's, mm, it makes me smile a little bit and chuckle um, because it's not going to stop us. Like, you can, you can put that law. Okay, cool. Sure. You know, but at at the end of the day, there's, there's a inevitable will. I feel like that at this point, there's just too much, uh, too much wrongdoing. Like the, the imperial uh, predation is only capable if you keep the people placated and comfortable and they're failing to do that, you know, uh, at a large scale, people are homeless. Like I have one guy that lived in his car for, like three or four weeks. Um, I actually, my wife and I, we lost our house when we, uh, we got COVID. Uh, it was like a little rolling. My son got COVID and I got COVID and my wife got COVID. So for almost a month, like rolling, like we weren't getting the income that we needed. And we talked to our landlord and being the wonderful leech on society that they were, they were like, well, we'll try to work with you. The best we can do is we'll let you get out of your lease. And, uh, Wow. Yeah, because we can get someone else in here and charge them 300 more a month than what we're charging you because of your contract that's currently listed. So, um, yeah, have a good luck with that. And I'm like, what the hell? So we actually had to like move in with my wife's parents. Um, and so life is 
life is a little bit more difficult and less comfortable than it should be for uh you know a family of adults in their 30s that you know have two kids if you go back to like the 50s the dad could just go work at a warehouse and he could provide for the entire family now my wife and i are both working and you know we're barely making it uh, it's and like just inflation skyrocketing. like everything is no one's comfortable no one's happy anymore everyone's miserable and then we have a controlled opposition party that's just doing nothing in society right, right to actually quell these issues like they're supposed to be a pressure relief valve for the system right but they they're failing even in that regard they remind me of the Whigs. i don't know if you guys are like history buffs <laughs> or anything but if you go back yeah. to like the mid-1800s they're pretty much just play by play doing everything the Whigs are doing just hoping that at that time the Democratic Party makes a fail that would allow them to get a, a nomination for presidency to the party. And so they implode, and then you know there's this big power vacuum, and then you have a, a three-party system for a period of time. Uh, and I, I kind of see that's where the country is going, just on a political sense. I, I think the Democratic Party's probably going to fall apart, um, just because they continue to do nothing at all. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, just out of curiosity, have uh, have dem- you know semi-prominent Democrats been among those people who have been trying to insert themselves into the situation? Um, maybe maybe that's too have, much shade to throw around. I don't know. <laughs> well, you're 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 okay. You're okay. Um, we haven't had anyone specifically reach out to us. Uh, we did have an organization that has a lot of links to politicians uh, come to us and offered us. Um, resources, uh, which he's a great guy and their organization's great. And we actually use them because they have a lot of other resources, uh, media and so on. Like they're just very, very well networked. But one of those networks was political. And we actually had like a couple debates within our <laughs> rank and file democratic sure. uh, organization of like, what do we want to do here? Like, is this something we want to go about? Is this actually going to benefit us? Um, and just trying to figure out like if that was a route we wanted to go. Um, and so we're kind of putting them on the back burner at this point in time until like they can prove some things. I did have sure. one local representative call me for like wanting me to vote for them. And I was like, Hey, how about <laughs> you get some legislation through to help with workers rights first or like sure. any of this other litany. And I gave them like a 20 bullet point list of <laughs> ways they're failing and letting us down and what they need to focus on. Of course, I mean, with all the gerrymandering and there are a lot of obstacles. If you are sure. a well-intentioned general genuine person that wants to do good, and happen to be running Democrat, like you, you, the cards are stacked against you, you know, and then you're going to get into the system. You're going to get indoctrinated, you know, give it like five to 10 years. Um, and we're going to get sandbagged. And there's just, there's only so much you can do unless you go the, uh, what's that lady. There's a councilwoman in Seattle that has like a lot of, social mm-hmm. backing from the people that you know, if, if her coworkers give her too much of a pushback, she can kind of start rallying the troops and they'll start locking down sectors of the workforce. So, yeah. Um, well, that's, uh, that's really great. Them. Honestly. I mean, like, and especially pushing politicians from the side of labor to actually do things for labor saying like, if you want anything from us, you have to be the first people to step up because we labor has historically, uh, you know, been supportive of people who just didn't do shit for them, unfortunately. And, uh, we just can't keep falling for that. It's, it's just not going to be anything that's going to bring us forward. And if anything, it divides our, our unions and we need to stay strong together as the working class. Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, I mean, I, there's this fear, right. Of like, um, 
like what is it the the NLRB in um I'm not really sure if you're familiar with the uh, Smithfield meat processing plant uh, in North Carolina. Uh, uh, but they have, the the decades long fight to to yes. unionize there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, that company sandbagged the process and pushed back at every possible institu- like instance uh, to draw out their their recognition a decade, ten years, mm-hmm. or nine and a half years or so. Um, and like, it, we don't have that kind of time. Like, sure. I, I think operating within the the tiny narrow margin that's been drawn out for us of like how to protest from. 5 p.m. or 5, you know, right. 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., you know, in this one little region with a permit. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, the, it, the rules that you're giving us are unacceptable. And like, at a certain point, like, I don't want to go full Nat Turner or anything, but like, something, <laughs> something's got to change. So I love the more militant aspect that a lot of places are starting with, like, Starbucks, uh, there's like work stoppages, strikes. I love the Sabo Tabby image that you guys have for your podcast by the way is the most ferocious uh sabotage cat i've ever seen i'm like oh man like it looks so good thank you thank you yeah, yeah. um and you mentioned uh inflation and i've been wondering uh, because one of the things that we've heard, you know, reading about issues that like the RWDSU encountered in Bessemer and, and then talking with Matt from the SDF one facility and issues in Kentucky, obviously one of the things that Amazon has been able to use in the past to try and suppress labor organizing, especially in States either in the South or just generally in States that either don't have their own minimum wage or have incredibly low minimum wages is to basically say, look, oh, oh, you, you, you know, you want to organize here. Well, like look at everywhere else that's paying less. Like, yeah, we may only be paying you $15 an hour, but everywhere else is even worse. And and so I know that folks like organizers there have said that the, the, the investor said that was a challenge. But one of the things that I've been, you know, considering about that is just that with inflation as high as it is right now and prices through the roof, it's getting to the point where it's like, whether you're paid $8 an hour or whether you're paid 15, certainly you'd rather be paid 15. But if you can't, as you said, if you can't pay your rent, if you can't pay your health care on 15, I don't really know that there's that as big of a difference anymore. Is, is that really, something you're you nailing the head? You're, you're hundred percent nailing it. You're nailing it. Like, like the income has been devalued to the point where people are trying to recognize that their, their labor is being devalued and it's like they're working just as hard if not harder in a lot of instances people are working you know two jobs three jobs i'm working overtime just to be able to bring home a paycheck that can help my family out like so i'm working 50 hour work weeks plus trying to organize plus being a father of two like i i'm losing sleep every day (laughs) you know and that's that's most people i mean even those that aren't involved in organizing uh they're they're just spread so thin and I mean, you can only push people so far before they start pushing back or they break and snap. And there's a lot of thoughts with that too. But but you're right though, 100% to get back to what you're talking about. The $15 is you know, pauper paid wages. Like it's there's it's not even close to enough at this point. I think it's like 28 or 29 dollars is what minimum wage should be um, if everything was adjusted to inflation to back from like the 1970s or something. Right. Right. Like if, if, if that, when you see that graph of productivity and, and wages, if the wage line had kept up with the productivity right. line. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I appreciate you. Yeah. <laughs> Filling in all those blanks. My brain is like, it skips like whole chunks <laughs> of thought processes. So thank you greatly. Yeah. Well, I mean, That's you're, exactly you're, right. 
you're working on a project that has like a lot of different dimensions to it. So you probably have to do a lot of lateral thinking on the day to day, not to mention switching in and out of just working, you know, your various jobs. But uh, so we've heard how like you and, and your union and your coworkers have responded to the union busting tactics. But how has the, the community more broadly responded to the drive and, and to the situation in general? Have you seen a high level of just community support? Um, uh, yes, to a degree, actually. Uh, we have a lot of volunteers to help with uh, firing from a local level. Um, a lot of people from other Amazon locations in the area are like chomping at the bit. They like want us to get into their building. They want help and they need help. Um, and we want to help. But right now, especially after talking with so many different other organizers in and, and most of them have gone the route of trying to organize multiple locations at once. And it's just, it's difficult. It's very, very difficult. So they, um, they kind of advised us and we've kind of like decided on like, okay, we need to really put all of our attention on this one building. And then we're going to build from that. Um, it's kind of a socialism yeah, we, in one facility sort of deal. <laughs> sadly, sadly, like I hate to bring it up like Russia, right? But, yeah. you know, then, you know, if we can get the USSR in, in North Carolina, then maybe we can help uh, some other states. Uh, I mean, I would love to go with more of like a international proletariat route, but um, it's it just it's difficult finding rank and file on such a large scale level that you can be able to True. organize on that level. But that's necessary. Like, I think we're fighting such a huge machine, right? The GDP of Amazon is, like, larger than most countries in the world. Um, and, you know, we're taking it on as just, like, someone bringing in less than 30000 a year, right, and, and individuals. And so uh, the collective is our only option at this point. Um, I'm yeah. really looking forward to the next couple of years and what's going to happen. That's all I'm going to say. With, with, in regards to <laughs> collective work. Uh, that makes yeah. perfect sense because, I mean, materially, you are limited in how much you can do at this very moment. And to make sure that you get this victory and solidify that power is exactly what will allow you to build the power to create, you know, the infrastructure to help some of those other uh, Amazon facilities and, and build out that movement. Because really, I mean, their victory is tied up with your victory. And in the end, yours with theirs. Oh, 100%. And it goes even deeper. Like, it's outside of Amazon. Like, the whole the world, honestly, us being in the Imperial court, right? Like, like if, uh, I think there's so much at stake with Amazon fighting the unions that, uh, and, and Starbucks too, honestly, um, I, I feel like they, if they lose this battle as a company, then it could lead to a larger, um, victory as a whole for the working class and for Absolutely. just people. Um, and I think a lot of like wealthy individuals, much, much higher up that make larger scale decisions in, in broad strokes, they see it and they understand. And like, it's, it's just a matter of time before like the fire really starts heating up on this kind of thing. Um, because like they have a vested interest in us not winning. Um, and we have a very vested interest in us winning. And so it's, it's going to be kind of like a civil war from like a working standpoint, from like a, a labor standpoint, like, um, it's going to take everyone banding together outside of just Amazon. Like, I feel like if we can get each group, if everyone across the country starts organizing, 
their workplace. It doesn't matter if it's a McDonald's. It doesn't matter if it's a mom and pop shop. Like if everyone organizes and gets their groups to a level where they've got control over that workplace, then we can start connecting those organizations together and making larger collectives. Um, and we can start um, insulating ourselves from the instability of capitalism. Uh, we can start providing uh, tenant uh unions and you know maybe we can use our collective buying power to start purchasing homes to be able to provide people housing to be able to you know start food solidarity food drives and stuff like there's there's so many shortcomings within this society that anyone claiming that they're pro-life should be able to look at and see like oh this is like a blatant disregard of my philosophical and religious beliefs, but, you know, right. I'm just going to accept that and swallow that cognitive dissonance pill and move on with my life. It's just like, oh, sorry, I'm ranting. I'm, no, I'm actually, sorry. you're, no, you're, no. you're literally just going directly into the next question that we had, which was what advice <laughs> would you give to other Amazon workers? And I mean, you're going a little bit broader by talking about, you know, workers outside of Amazon, uh, but, but people who would like to organize in their workplaces. I mean, you're, you're actually out there doing some of the organizing right now. And, and uh, if you had some, some key organizing points or, or some things that maybe you've learned that you think maybe are a little bit more widely applicable, maybe even just to Amazon. Amazon or even to other things, uh, what sort of, uh, other advice would you be giving to people? Okay. Uh, that's, that's like probably the best question ever, honestly. Um, <laughs> I would say firstly, the number one thing you can do, whether you're in Amazon or not, is learn about the benefits of unions and worker led militant rank and file unions, not like not business unions or any of that shenanigans like real unions that actually are there for the people learn about them learn about their benefits learn how they help people and spread that knowledge to your loved ones your family your friends spread it like it's the gospel like tell everybody um because the more that we can break the stigma that a union is you know a third party or you know some concept of like a predatory thing like it, it if we can get rid of that then that will help so 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 much um that that's probably the biggest ripple you can make outside of that um you can get involved with your local dsa you can um get involved with uh just other local groups like just type in your nearest large city dsa chapter near me and just go from there call a phone number talk to somebody um within your workplace you can start talking to your coworkers about unions um but be safe about it. You know, don't don't do it around management. Just start, you know, bringing it up. Engage what their interests are. Um, and then if you find more people that are also interested, y'all can start just meeting up outside of the workplace just for ease and safety and start talking about, like, what would you want? Would you want to try to start organizing your workplace? Um, from there, reach out to your local DSA and see if they have resources because they are hands down the number one organization that has helped us as a group and many other groups that I've talked with, it has been the DSA. It's been their local DSA. Not every chapter is going to be as good as every other chapter. So, I mean, that's a little hit or miss, but as a general whole, um, the DSA is going to help you as the Democratic Socialists of America. For anybody who's like here in DSA and doesn't know what I'm talking about, um, that, that's probably the biggest help. Outside of those main talking points, if you do decide to start unionizing, Democratic, democratic workplace, 100 percent, like learn what those processes are like of like putting forward 
uh, proposition and actually just having a no emotional, no egotistical connection to like, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Is this something we want? Um, and then you can build from that to get to a point where like you have a collective that will relieve some of the burden on you as an individual, actually, to make large sweeping decisions. And you can trust in that system that it will generally be the best decision. Um, I mean, you, it all depends on, you know, who's involved. Right. But as a whole, of course. um, it's, it's a lot, a lot better and a lot healthier. Um, I think that's it. I mean, there's, there's always more, there's always more. That's one thing I've learned from <laughs> organizing is whenever you think you're getting close to understanding everything, there's a whole nother world of, uh, the, uh, Kruger effect, Dunning Kruger effect is massive. Oh, sure. organizing. Yeah, right. You go like, oh, this is easy. I understand. I just talking to this about blah blah blah. And you're like, oh, I don't know that much. Oh, I really don't know that much. Oh, when does this loop turn around? When do I start thinking I understand a lot? Oh man. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like to to your point though about like how easy it can be, especially if you're just by yourself, even if you're interested in organizing to get into this trap of thinking like my job sucks and I'm just one person. It's never going to like, there are things I'd love to change about this job, but I have no way to do it, do it. But like, even if, like you were saying, like if you just find out a couple of your other friends at the or coworkers are even somewhat interested in it, you just start having those conversations. Even if you're just like having a beer after work or whatever, and, and just be, can be like, well, why couldn't these things change? And then you just having those conversations openly, you can start to get to that point where you're like, that's really not the barrier, that permanent problem that I thought it was going to be. And if really, you know, we get everybody involved in this, there's no reason that these things that make the job so terrible day in and day out couldn't change. hundred percent. I mean, ALU started with two people. Uh, even cause started with just two people deciding like, we want to do this and then branching out from there two turns into four, four turns into seven, you know, that seven turns into 14. And then you start getting outside help and you start like learning more and gaining momentum and speed and you have exponential growth. And then once you get over half the workforce, like you can start really making moves, doing some things. I mean, honestly before that, but like you can, I'm really excited for what's to come. Like, Oh man, i uh, I mean, that that sort of optimism is something that we talk about here so often being essential to any sort of organizing drive is to truly believe that you can win because without that sort of like really empowered mindset, you can fall prey to defeatism and, oh, it's never going to blah, 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 this or that. And you just like the, the thing about it is, is that when you do maintain that, 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 vi- that vigor in, in your organizing, you can win and you can empower more people and, and less people fall prey to that sort of doomer that is so pervasive in this incredibly this neoliberal hellhole uh that we call a country and uh and so i'm really uh you know heartened to to hear that from from you as an organizer and to to hear that that sort of mentality has been been going strong in cause oh yeah and it helps with the collective like with a group of people like if one person on your own like i know me personally I'll go through a, a patch of like a day or two where I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like this seems so daunting. But like you get back together with your group, you talk with them and you're like, Oh, okay, never mind, never mind. We can do this, we can do this, this is gonna work. So yeah, having there's strength in numbers and it's not just like a physical strength, like it's an emotional strength. It's a it's a mental well being strength. Like it's it's so many aspects of benefit from the collective. 
Yeah. Um, and like before we get to to some of our, to our last question, is there anything that you wanted to to say or wanted to make sure to bring up um, that that maybe we didn't get a chance to get to? I understand. I understand. I mean, I feel like that's such a Pandora's box, right? Like there's so <laughs> many things. So like, uh, you have to tread lightly. I don't feel like talking to the FBI later. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, but I mean, at the end of the day, we have to be the change. I think is the mm-hmm. number one thing. If you're out there listening, you can't just hope for someone else to, to get things accomplished for you. Right. So like if, if you're not happy, if you're frustrated with society, if you're frustrated with ah, just the state of, of life as a whole, then like, what are you willing to do about it? Right. Like, like what, what do you want to do about it? Uh, maybe take some action out there, get out there and make some phone calls, talk to people, get involved and don't just get on your keyboard and post on Reddit all day. So. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And so I guess, uh, for, you know, for our final question, uh, we'd love to know, like for our listeners, if they, you know, if they happen to be anywhere in the, in the area down in North Carolina or just folks from across the country, how can they support cause and the, and the work that y'all are doing there mm-hmm. at Amazon? Definitely. Um, check out our website. It's amazoncause.com. Uh, and uh, from there, you can see a bunch of our media videos and stuff. And then uh, uh, there's also a go- link to our GoFundMe. Uh, from there, you can uh, make a donation that will help greatly um, with our our needs in terms of printing, uh, you know, informational material to coworkers, um, flyers, uh, help build up our our uh, war bank for uh, other activities, things to come. Um, and so that, that would be very helpful. Um, but again, I think the, the number one thing you can do is just spread awareness of the benefits of a union, um, get involved in your local DSA. If you want to come salt for us, uh, do like a salt campaign, just like apply it at local Amazon and start asking around. Uh, that's cool too. Um, definitely won't say no to some easy, easy recruits. Um, yeah, I think that'd probably be the the three biggest things you could do to help. Awesome. Well, I mean, thank you, Lance, again, so much for joining us. We, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I, it's a, it's a relief to be a part of, uh, such a large grassroots movement that's happening within the country and within the world as a whole. Um, uh, they, was it Mark Twain says history doesn't, uh, repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And uh, it's really looking like, early 1900s right now in that regard and uh uh, so we'll see what happens but i'm very excited i'm very excited Wow. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's so so great and so important. And uh, again, just a big thanks for coming on the show. And uh, definitely want to uh, also thank our patrons for helping uh, support the show and make it so that we can do these sorts of really great interviews. And uh, you know, uh, I guess with that. We'll uh, do our classic wrap up with uh, the the line that I always say, which is labor peace is not in our interest and solidarity forever. That's right. Solidarity. Solidarity, everybody. Hell yeah.
new world begins.